Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had Drew Brenneman on the show. Uh, Drew is an investor out of Chicago, uh, Dre's hometown, and he's been an investor for a very long time. In fact, he started uh, when he was in high school and, um, you know, he got into development as well and, and was able to raise capital from select partners to grow his, his early portfolio. He has a lot of knowledge and, and he definitely shared a lot of it with us today. Dre, what are your thoughts on the show? Yeah, I, I love this one because obviously it hit home a little bit more. We don't have many investors that invest in the Midwest. It's certainly not Chicago. He's definitely the first investor that we've ever had on the show that invests in Chicago. You could actually argue that it has the same merits in a way of San Diego in terms yeah. of people don't invest there because they think high prices. And then you combine that with snow. And so people are like, not even a chance. Right. Honestly, and, I, I was thinking that like throughout the whole episode, I was thinking it almost sounds like he's talking about where San Diego's going. I don't know if you, I don't know if you agree with that. It's interesting. I, I didn't think that, but I think that people in a way would invest here because it's California and it's the sunny weather. Yeah. But that's what I mean, right? High rents, high purchase price, but take away the exoticness of being in California and the sunny year-round weather, but taking rain and snow and everything else that people are like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I just think it's interesting that he bought in San Diego in, I'm sorry, in, in Chicago and did 10 apartment deals. What I also love and that our listeners will hear is assumable loans, assumable debt. And he did quite a few deals like that in Chicago, even to one deal where he did these these big JV investment partnerships and how he was able to leverage that. I think that the assumable loans and the relationship he built with the investor who put in 18 million, crazy down payment on, on one of his biggest deals, a 30, $30 million deal, $32 million apartment deal and how he built that relationship and how he's able to leverage it. He did that twice for two big investors yeah, crazy. For, uh, for a lot of JV deals. So if you want to hear how he legitimately built two relationships like that, I would definitely, definitely tune in and, and take notes on this episode in addition to assuming debt, which is definitely going to be something that is going to grow more given where we're at in the current economy and the real estate cycle. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the Multifamily Body Slice Podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I've got my other host here, Ike Eke. She's not able to make it for this episode, but She's here in spirit. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first-time listener, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, please leave us a five-star review. The sun has been beautiful these last few days. I am so, so happy. We have definitely been on a rain slaughter the last few months. <laughs> but I mean, and the, and the sun did come out with the, with the start of the spring last week, but it's been like warmer too. And so I'm been just greatly happy about that everyone's out enjoying themselves uh ike just just making me happy how you doing man i'm doing good man and i have to share the i, I share the same sentiment it was a long winter a rainy winter which is unusual here in southern california but one of the good things that came out of it is the whole world is green down here everything is beautiful and green all the foresty areas all the parks so that's great and now the sun is shining so yeah the the, the year is off to a nice spring i guess you would say but without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Drew Brenneman. He is pretty knowledgeable in the real estate space. In fact, we discussed a little bit prior to pressing the record button about his, his background and, and what he's doing today. 
and it's going to be a fun episode. So without further ado, again, Drew, welcome to the show. Please tell our audience a little bit about yourself, how you got into real estate and what you're doing today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, Dre. Appreciate it, Ike. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting to hear about this, uh, San Diego weather where I didn't, uh, how long was it raining? Like, is this is the whole winter or what was the, uh, what was this? I mean, I honestly, Chicago, all the way, so. all the way through <laughs> the end of March, I would say it was on and off rain. And when it rains here, it's weird. It gets really windy. It gets really gusty. It's not a fun time to be out because this place isn't really built for rain. Everything you yeah. do in San Diego is outdoors. <laughs> so when it's raining, you can't really do much. Uh, so you stay inside, you're watching Netflix and your HBO Max and you wait it out. But we had to wait a little longer this year. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I just does interesting hearing about being in the Midwest. It does, uh, you know, at least there's no pipes freezing or, you know, you're able to, <laughs> that's true. That's leave true. the true, house if you true. need to. I remember I know, those I days. Dre's from <laughs> Chicago, so he he knows about uh, the snow. So, yes. but yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. So, yeah, just I got started really early uh, in life in real estate, just kind of fell into it where I started an Internet business when I was in high school. All my friends were playing these online video games and. Uh, or not, maybe not all, but a couple of them were, and they sold some of their stuff on eBay for real money. And I asked like, what the heck you guys are doing? And they sold their things. And I saw that they sold them, you know, on eBay and you can go on there and search completed transactions. And I found out how much they were uh, going for, you know, usually. And then any, I tried my hand. I was like, Hey, I see something selling for 10 bucks. It's normally 30. Let me buy it. See if I can resell it and flip it. And I did. Uh, and then I just, kept reinvesting that money. And over the course from like sophomore year of high school to freshman year of college, I made between 80,000 and a hundred thousand dollars. And I kept all the money. Like I just, I, my parents were both teachers. And so we weren't like big spenders. And there's a lot of talk about saving and investing in mutual funds, uh, especially for my dad. So when I started getting this money, I thought I'll just do the same thing. I just saved it all and started investing in mutual funds. And then reading the books that, you know, most people would probably read when they're, you know, like 30 or 40 years old, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Intelligent Investor, Think and Grow Rich. I read all those books and I started investing in the stock market and mutual funds. And my kind of my strategy at the time was not good where I was, you know, too, too impatient, too young, you know, being a 16 or 17 year old investor, you own something literally for like a day and you're, and it goes down and then you think, okay, well, maybe this is the wrong stock. I should sell it. Yeah. So I was reading a book about real estate though, and sort of this, the light bulb really went off for me. So I was reading, I think it's called investing in real estate by Gary Eldred. It's uh, you know, a good book for beginners. And it, he was just breaking down how you make money in real estate, you know, stuff we already know, obviously all of us, but the listeners, you know, cash flow, paying your loan down appreciation and the tax breaks you get. And, but really the appreciation thing really stuck with me where his example was you put 10% down on a duplex. If that goes up 3% in a given year, that's a 30% return on your money. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a really high return. Obviously that's oversimplified and not every deal you put 10% down or goes up 3% like clockwork, but like that really got the, that put, you know, the light bulb went off for me at that moment. And so I was going to go to college the following year at UW-Madison and thought, okay, I'll buy a place to live in my sophomore year. And I did. So found a realtor when I was in Madison, bought my first duplex when I was 19, ended up buying four deals while I was in college. So I invested all my own money. And then I went 
And I figured, okay, why don't I go and get a job next to learn? So I got an internship in Madison at an office developer, later got a full-time job at a multifamily developer, and then worked for a retail developer. So I ended up getting a lot of like experience quickly in different product types. So then when I was working, if, I mean, I can just bring the whole story to like current day, if you'd like. So when I was working at that apartment developer, uh, one of the my coworkers, he said, Hey, why don't we go meet with my dad? Um, maybe he'd want to invest, you know, at all the people working there, I was probably the only one doing my own deals prior to working there and looking for stuff still while I was working, uh, as a full-time employee and met with the dad, I had printed out a bunch of deals and they really liked a, what would have been a, a really large deal for me at the time where the biggest deal I had bought was 700,000. And this deal was, um, was $3 million at the ask price. So I was surprised by that. And we ended, you know, and I think I double checked with them like, okay, you know, this would be like 600,000 or a million dollars down for this. And they're like, yeah, we know we check it out. And we ended up buying that shopping center that I printed out in that meeting. And so that was like how I got into, you know, bigger deals at that point was really, I found a partner uh, who was, you know, the son and I did all the work to do the deals and the dad invested the money. So then we went and we ended up the three of us for the next 10 years, we bought right out around a hundred million dollars of property, just taking the initial money the father had invested and then recycling it. So we would, you know, buy a deal. Um, and if we, you know, we thought maybe it's like a weaker one in the portfolio, we sold it. We did a 1031 into a larger deal, kept trading up. And then, uh, once I had moved to Chicago, we started buying apartments and we bought, I, th I think it was 10 apartment deals in Chicago. And on all of them, we refinanced out uh, in aggregate, like more money than we had put down on them. So they're all value add deals. So we bought them, we would raise the rents and then uh, all this with the Freddie SBL program. So, which is a great uh, financing program for anything that's uh, five or more units. We'd acquire it, raise the rents or renovate it and then do a cash out refi. On average, we were able to pull out all that money and we kept recycling it. So we had 3 million to start, bought 10 million with that, uh, did our thing, refinanced, out the 3 million, bought another 10, repeated it, bought another 10, and then refied the money out again. And we have 30 million of property today. Some of it we sold in that sort of grouping of properties that we pull all the money out of. Um, and then to fast forward to, to today, um, sort of made a pivot in 2020 where I saw what was happening in the Sun Belt and you know really wanted to get a piece of it where I feel like we did really great deals in the Midwest, but it was not easy. And uh, not that the Sun Belt is like super easy, but you have all the trends in your favor. So I think on the deals we've sold so far, all the Midwest ones, like our average return is a 25% IRR. So we've done well, but I feel like during that same time period, you could have probably bought anything in like Phoenix or Dallas or Florida and probably made that kind of return too. And you have all the trends in your favor. So in, uh, in 2020, 2021, like I made a pivot on what I'm looking at personally and started uh, staffing up and like formally formed, uh, Brenneman capital. So, you know, today we're, we're looking at stuff that's, you know, bigger deals, uh, compared to where I had started out, you know, 5 million to 50 million in deal size, only multifamily. And then really just looking at what we'll call core plus or value add deals. So core plus is just the ones where you buy, uh, you know, an existing, property built, let's say, you know, 1990 or newer, and then you don't need to renovate it or do much to it. You're buying it because the rents are below market or you can get it, uh, you know, at a, at a low price because you need to assume their loan or um, do something to it, but not, not requiring a full renovation. And then the other type we do is your typical value add deal where 
you're buying a slightly older building and it does need a renovation. So then you're, uh, you know, clearing everybody out, adding in unit laundry, renovating kitchens, bathrooms, flooring, doing the exterior, you know, all sorts of stuff. But yeah, really, and that's kind of where, where we're at today. You know, I've bought about 250 million of property, I think total, still own 200 some million of it today. And that's with, you know, with partners. So people invest in the deals and I own a piece of it. And a few of those deals, you know, I own just solely, but for the most part, it's all just partnerships and taking on investors. So, and and uh, to start off, I think I wanted to to just clarify when you first started, you know, with that first investment after you were working in development, was that the only investment throughout that whole period until um, you reached the point where you started your own firm, or were you raising capital throughout that whole time? Yeah. So the first four deals I bought uh, when I was in college, that was with just my own money. Okay. On, on all those. And so, and then I had invested all of my own money uh, at that point. And then I thought, what, what would be my next move? And I had never thought about raising outside capital. I never, I mean, this is in 2004, 2007, I bought all those deals. So then I feel like there were, there weren't any podcasts, you know, bigger pockets was just a, you know, like a message board thing, you know, um, with their blog and, you know, it's kind of early days on hearing a lot about raising money, um, sort of, mainstream really that wasn't as uh widely done as it is now and and you know i think the jobs act or one of the you know they changed that a little bit too like it's easier to raise money now um but yeah so those were just those first four deals all my own money and then and then when i my the first time i raised any money was that shopping center i was talking about where the father and son partnered with me and then i didn't have any other investors or do any deals separately myself or with other people for the next 10 years. So 2008 to some point in 2019, that was, I just did everything with them. So then we'd know what money we had available within um, our own portfolio or new money that the, uh, our investor would be willing to throw in. And then we just sort of bought based on what we, we had equity for. So I never, it never crossed my mind to just sort of, you hear like, if you get a good deal, like you can always raise money for it. You know, I never, I never tested that, you know, yeah. you know, until, <laughs> until recently. Well, so, so, I mean, I, I would, I would make the argument that at that time in, in, you know, the real estate economy and, and even in social media and the ability to get to, to reach a lot of people, it's, it was a much more difficult time to raise capital, right? So, you know, the, the ability for you to have a network internally where you were able to tap capital, you know, that, that was a huge advantage at the time. Yeah. I mean, not to say that it wouldn't be an advantage now, but even more so then because of the lack of the tools that we have today to, to get that reach. So, yeah, I think that's right. A lot of those people that were doing that, you know, at the same time I was, it was more just old school kind of investing, like people like, you know, literally at like the country club kind of thing, or, you know, like passing the hat, a bunch of like what seemed like old guys doing it, you know, and. And I was fortunate because especially 2009 and 10, 11, it would have been really hard to raise any money. Um, but I had one person who was, you know, had a, a lot of money and was ready to go. So we're buying deals with fresh capital um, and not not bogged down by a lot of bad deals in the portfolio, which um, which a lot of people we were buying from were like they'd have like 10 messed up deals and two good ones. And we buy the two good ones. So, well, I wanted yeah, to I wanted to backtrack no. a little bit. Um, you know, you don't you don't meet too many operators that buy in the Midwest. And I know you mentioned buying your first 10 apartment deals in Chicago. And so I did wanted to take a little bit to discuss that. What did you I know you said the returns weren't as high compared to the Sunbelt 
and that your overall IRR was around 25%. But talk to me about how it was investing in for Chicago for you um, and also to a little bit about some of those deals. Yeah. Well, so the, uh, you know, every deal was, this was a value add one of some sort. So, you know, like the first deal we bought, it was, uh, you know, a 16 unit for 5.7 million bucks. And so, you know, I think people were scared off. That's a high price per unit was 350,000 a door, uh, but it was all three bed, two bath units in a, in a really hot neighborhood, Wicker Park. And the, all, the profile of every deal looked just like this one in a way where the rents at the building, so I'm buying it based on these current rents, they're renting these units out probably on average for $2,500 a unit. And the market at the time was 3000 So all I need to do is buy it. And it, it did need to be, it was not very presentable where it was previous, it was a failed condo deal. So previously bank owned, everything was just painted like builder, cheap white kind of on the walls. And then uh, was just kind of, didn't feel like clean. So all we did was repainted everything basically like a modern, uh, you know, gray color. And that was it. And then we started renting them out for 3000 bucks, uh, you know, and we, that alone, then it appraised, you know, a year later for seven something million, uh, just based on how much we raised the rents. And, and then we continued to raise the rents. Now today that rents out for 3650. We just rented one for 30, 3,750. So, and, and a lot of these deals haven't sold them. You know, most of the deals that I own, I still like, I'm, I'm much more into owning things long-term than just like a one, two, three year hold. You know, if you think about these uh, folks who've made a lot of money in real estate over the years, it's usually people who aggregate, you know, end up building a big portfolio for themselves. And then they, they're not flipping in and out of stuff. They just, uh, you know, use the cash flow to acquire more, refinance money out and, and buy more. Or if they're, you know, uh, have other investors that go into deals, they would focus on like probably acquiring another property versus the sell, the sell selling one. So. So you talked about with your current company, the fact that you're leaning more towards uh, core plus assets. Can you, can you speak a little bit more about that and, and why that, that strategic decision was made? Yeah. And I think, you know, the way I'm describing these deals, I think probably the ones we were doing in Chicago would be, you know, would be probably called core pluses too. I'm saying there's some value add, but we've always bought the nicer, newer properties. It's just been what sort of made uh, like my investor, my first investor, his background is he owned a construction company. So he was a lot more interested in something that would be 10 years old, let's say, or or a couple of years old versus like a hundred year old building we have here in Chicago. Yep. So then a lot of this, most of the stuff we had bought in Chicago, it was failed condo deals early on or things that had just completed a renovation. And then they had a bad lease up, let's say the, the rental market is really seasonal here. To get your peak rents in Chicago, you want to be leasing between May and August only. It's a tight window. I mean, it's still okay April to September, but after that, it drops off a lot. So if you renovate a building or build one, and then you rent it out in January, like in the dead of winter, your rents will be 10 to 20% below market wow. or below the summer market. Depends on the unit type, but it's it's a huge difference. And I've we've done well just literally buying deals like that where it's a brand new building developer finished it in december he's moving in people you know on new year's day and then we buy it in the summer then we when we do our renewals that come up we get everyone to uh, expire in the summer and then we start uh you know raising rents to where they should be so, to market 
So does something like that happen because the developer isn't local and they don't know the market that well? Or why would, I mean, I would imagine, you know, the developer of, of, a, of a class A deal in Chicago is relatively sophisticated and they would probably do that sort of analysis, but it seems like that's not the case. The deals we were buying were more in the two to eight or eight to 10 million space on that size. So I'd say they, they were, they were sophisticated in their own way, but they were more like construction experts versus okay. what you're thinking where we weren't buying like 200 unit towers from a, you know, like a, a REIT or something. This was more like a guy who has a construction company. He usually builds condos or single family houses, but he went rental on a couple and then he rented them out in January. And maybe he knows that there's that big a difference in rents. Maybe he doesn't, but most of them were that kind of purchase. And then we also did a, like a lot of loan assumption deals. So they would build these things, then they'll go put their permanent loan on. And then they have a huge prepayment penalty that they're facing hmm. if they if they pay off their loan. And especially if they did uh, Freddie or Fannie loans, we've done a ton of those. And so we didn't mind assuming those if we were getting our, our price on it. And a lot of people, they don't want to assume a loan because you're you're this is might not be a lender type they want to use or you're already into the part of the loan where it's not interest only anymore and you're amortizing so yeah that so that's something where i've done a, i think at least five loan assumption deals where end up and all those end up being off market because then the brokers know you for that so they know you assume that guy's loan because that's one thing too like i think for people you know starting out let's say doing deals like you want to make sure the brokers and people that are in the real estate industry know what you're that well, for one, that you're a, a closer, like don't be retrading people. I mean, I guess that's, you know, on small stuff, like that's number one. And then number two is once you're actually closing deals, make sure people know what those are. I do one loan assumption deal and every broker that calls me, I tell them like, hey, I just did this one. People calling you like that. I, I mean, it worked out on this one, could work out on some you have. So. All right. Well, we're going to move on to the second part of the show. It's called the legacy round. So it's usually you can pick from three topics. Either you talk about a deal that you feel forever changed the trajectory of your business or the second one could be practical tips on how to grow your portfolio or the third topic could be building your investor network and i'll leave that up to you to choose yeah i think i'll go with the uh with the the deal that you know jumped up my career you know so i mean i think uh i already talked about when i moved up to the uh, buying the shopping center you know i think that was uh, the biggest jump in my career going from this the biggest deal had been a seven hundred thousand dollar deal to um to buying what that one for 2.6 uh two five million but I'll, I'll talk about a different deal that was like a similar jump up just to have some uh get, explain a new deal and it was a loan assumption deal in 2020 so in the middle of covid uh, a broker sent me a deal and they're like hey we want to um got sent this new construction deal you got to assume their loan it's in the west loop neighborhood they, you know, they say they want 38, 40 million for it. Like, let me know what you think. I just do like a basic kind of calc, you know, what I think the expense ratio should be and throw on the, what I thought would be like a high cap rate, shoot the guy back. Like, Hey, I think I'd be around like 32 million on it. If that's like something they would be interested in, let's dig in. And I thought he would be like, no, nah, it's you're like 8 million off. Like, no, thanks dude. <laughs> so, and he, he was like, yeah, they said like, you should check it out. So we toured it. We ended up getting it under contract at $32.8 million. And that was my biggest deal ever, where it was off market, um, the biggest deal I've done to date. And because and prior to that, the largest deal I had done was $13 million. So when it was a, a big jump. And then, I, you know, how I was able to do that was I had somebody 
uh, already in my pocket, so to speak, who I knew would fund the whole down payment. And he put $10 million down on that deal. Damn. So and that was, that was a jump. This? Uh, 72, 72 and plus street level retail. I think it was 420 a unit just from memory. Cause we were looking at the, the same builder built some stuff and he sold it for 560 a unit and another wow. one for, yeah. in the, in the mid to low 400. So yeah, that was, um, you know, 400 something thousand a unit when you back out the retail and, um, you know, for the West loop of Chicago on a new bill, that's, that's a, a, a good number. So it seems high compared to like most your run of the mill apartment deals, but Chicago, the rents are high. I mean, the average rent in the buildings, you know, in the three thousands a month. So. Yeah. And, and where did you, you know, build that, that connection based on that rapport with that investor to, to come down with such a large amount? Yeah. You know, it's the same as, uh, this is the same as the first investor where I have just told my story to just everybody when they're, you know, whether it's a, you know, a friend of a friend or, you know, how I met this, this person and ended up in there's a similar scenario where I ended up partnering with his son-in-law. So it was a son-in-law and a father-in-law. Uh, that I had met the son-in-law in 2015. I was renting out in a, in one of the apartments that I own, showing it, and he was representing in in Chicago. Also, there's there's tenant brokers sometimes on apartments where realtors brokers will take on uh, uh, you know leasing clients. And so I met uh, this this guy named Sam who was like a couple years younger than me doing uh, doing leasing. And just kind of kept in touch with them. And he wanted to get going into real estate full time at some point. Uh, and so I had kept in touch with them and had hired them to do some leasing for me too. And he was a, you know, really, really great to work with. And then at some point he mentioned like that he's, his, uh, he wanted to get on the ownership side. And uh, we talked in, he had mentioned about his father-in-law had money to invest. And so then the three of us, we partnered up in a similar way to that first, uh, first family I met up in Minnesota. So, but, so that is basically just, I, you know, told my story thousands of times. And in terms of like a, you know, forming like an investor partnership, like it worked out, you know, twice basically for like a bigger investor. And then otherwise in my other deals, those that I've been doing more recently, those have just been more typical syndications where people are putting in, you know, 50,000 or a hundred thousand or, you know, mm -hmm. 200,000, like a, you know, and so, cause initially up until two years ago too, I did, I wasn't set up to take money on like that, like a, a regular size equity check. I just really had partnered with only those two families. So if someone wanted to invest a hundred thousand, I had no investor reporting really or anything. Cause these, these guys who invested there, um, like one of them, their daughter does, does our accounting for all those deals. And so, and they have this like full normal access to everything where it's more like a partnership. Um, yeah. so I did, I never had any reporting or anything, you know, I, there's no investor portal. There's no quarterly reports is more sort of, they're already in the know. So that the last couple of years I've built that out, you know, where now we, we syndicate deals as well. All right. We're going to move on to the last part of the show, the Giordano run, as you know, uh, Giordano's is the number one pizza spot in Chicago and it's known for this thick, meaty slices. So the Giordano run is one of my favorite because it's a series of questions that Ike and I are going to, uh, give you. It's more so rapid fire. So quick responses, and it will leave our listeners with a mouthful for which each answer. So the first one, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are the last words before you die. What will you scream out to the world and want them to remember you drew by? And these are real estate answers or what? Anything, Just anything? Anything okay. you can scream I, out I, to I, the I, world. I would say help others. You know, I mean, I talked the whole time about real estate, but I'd say kind of at the 
end of the day, I'd rather be known for, I've, I think I've been easy to work with and have helped, uh, you know, also like explain things and lift people up. And my parents are both teachers. So I'm not really from a background. This is all about making money. So you don't, don't become a teacher if you're not interested in helping. So nice. number two, if there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? I think it's all about mindset and then putting in the work. A lot of people I see that have limiting beliefs or things that are kind of holding them back, or they think they need to just keep learning and learning and learning. Like a lot of it's in your head, like the people that are doing it, like they just, they learned a little and then they just started going. So you need to take action. All right, vocab. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate term investors should know? Uh, I would say, so once like you're learning about these terms around the debt, once you get into these like bigger deals, you know, like your loan, it's not only sized by loan to value, but also uh, your debt service coverage ratio. So that would be the first one, debt service coverage ratio. That's going to be your loan payment divided by your NOI. And so that you, in a lot of areas, like in San Diego, you probably can't get an 80% LTV loan. You're going to be limited by your debt service coverage ratio because the cap rates are low. And you need to understand that because when your lender comes back and says, hey, I'm topped out at, you know, 68.4% LTV because you're at a 120 debt cover, you're going to want to know how that works and be able to calculate yourself ahead of time. So, and kind of similarly, the second one I would say would be untrended yield on cost. Like what I think most of the experienced multifamily commercial investors, that's what they use as like the, probably the best metric on how strong their deal is. You know, IRR has a lot to do with timing of when your deal will make money, where the untrended yield on cost, what that is, is that's really just your stabilized NOI divided by your stabilized all-in cost. So the way I think of that is it's your cap rate when you're done with the deal. It's so, it's, you know, if you are going to renovate something for two years, you're looking, and then you're going to rent it out. You're looking, where am I going to be at in two years with my NOI and then my all-in cost? So your purchase price plus your whatever you spent on it. So that that's my first question every deal when one of the guys here sends it to me, like, where are we at on a state, you know, untrended yield on cost. So then third one, I mean, I you got to learn about construction. So I would just pick any other construction where that's one thing that's probably surprised me the most with real estate is I know uh, as much about paint and uh, types of flooring now as spreadsheets. So <laughs> learn, learn your, learn your paint sheens and the different types of screws and flooring and everything. So you're, you're going to, you're going to need to know that. So, and where you can eventually save money. All right. Um, education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups will you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? Yeah. So I think just, I haven't really, I haven't done any mastermind groups or any, any apps, but I definitely have been a big book reader, especially early on. And so I know that I already mentioned, uh, rich dad, poor dad and investing in real estate with Gary, Gary Eldred. So then I think two books that I read that like later on, uh, that were, were helpful. And this one I hear a lot of people talk about, it's called investing in real estate, private equity by Sean cook that a lot of people that are, you know, 10 years into the business or, uh, even people. So I went to UW Madison, I have a, a bachelor's degree in real estate and a lot of my friends or people have read that book. And so they learned a lot from it. And then another one that I read that was helpful, it's called investing in retail properties by Gary Rappaport. And it says retail properties, but what, what was really helpful for me was it talked a lot about how to, how he sets up the deals. So it was like the first time I saw someone write out like a partnership structure with a waterfall. So he invests, you know, let's say 
10% of the equity in the deal, then he owns that. Then on the 90% he raised, he explains how the waterfall worked. And it was the first time I saw that really written out. We hear people talking about that, but like, here's an actual example written out. Mm. And then I'm not sure where to buy that book. I bought it at the time through ICSC, the um, retail trade group. So hopefully that's on Amazon or something. All right. What is the most important skill to build to be successful in real estate investing? I think it's drive and ambition. I mean, you're going to have to put in the work, you know, and that'll be my number one. Like, uh, you know, the people that are, I see succeeding in this, they're, they're hard workers. Last one. What is the very first action you would advise a brand new investor to take to start their journey in real estate? I think the important part's what you said, take action where, yeah, read, read books for a couple months, but then you got to take action. You got to buy a deal. You got to get going. I mean, everyone eventually buys a house, you know, for the most part, most people in the country eventually are homeowners for a period of time. You can do it too. So get out, you know, read your books, what you got to do for a little bit, but then you got to get out there and buy a house or a duplex, get started. Well, there we have it. Another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I've got my other host, Ike Eke. She, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is not able to join it today, but she's here in spirit. We had Drew Brenneman in the house. We appreciate you for coming in and, and doing this show with us with your time. So we'll uh, see everybody for the next episode. Peace. Oh.